Hi everyone, welcome back to Voices of Western, the Humans of Western podcast. This is where we delve into everyday stories of students, staff, and faculty on campus. Be sure to check us out on Instagram at humans underscore Western, and of course, our Facebook page, Humans of Western. My name is Madison, and I am joined today uh, with my co-host, Hossein. Thank you, Madison. And today we have a very special guest with us, Dr. Robin Hanley-Depot. Um, she's a speaker, scholar, and author. And her interests focus on resiliency and wellness with topics including stress, navigating change, and self-identity. The topics that we are trying to uh, cover today include resiliency, what it means to learners, and how can we practice resiliency on a daily basis. Um, so Dr. Robin, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about yourself? Yes, absolutely. So first of all, thank you both Madison and Hossein for the opportunity to take part in Humans at Western. I think that's a great title to a podcast uh, to give folks a wee bit of context. So as you said, I do um, research and I work with people really all around the world thinking about resiliency and this idea of wellness, whether it be within our studies or in a work environment. So I'm excited to share with you some of my research findings and some key ideas to think about how we can promote wellness, especially as as we're all navigating these big seasons of uncertainty, which is 2020. And also just to give people context, I'm an alum from Western. So I was so excited to get this invitation because I love to support Western any chance I get. And there's just some wonderful gems of people who are at your institution and I'm happy to support you any way I can. Awesome. So I just want to uh, get to know your like mo motivation behind your work. Like, what really motivates you to t uh, speak and research about resiliency, especially concerning uh, students. Yeah, great question, Madison. So um, my, I guess you could say my origin story to how I became a scholar of resiliency really actually started outside of the academy. It started outside of school. And we would kind of go all the way back to like when I was 16. And I was actually a really off track teenager. I was navigating addictions. I was navigating mental health challenges. I had actually dropped out of high school. I was not a very solid student. I then ended up having um, a really significant life event. I had a pretty catastrophic car accident, which really changed the trajectory for me. It was my, not only a wake up call, but it was very much was a, you need to make better choices with the next part of your life. So that's when I actually started to cobble together this idea about how do we build again? How do you take all these broken parts of your life all of the stigma that's associated with mental health and addictions and stigma associated with being a high school dropout even, how do you start to take all of that and turn it into something with purpose and taking out those lessons from those events as opposed to just holding regret. So I cobbled my way through and ended up uh, finishing, um, was finished high school actually through correspondence, which at the time you actually had to mail your homework away and a teacher you never met would do mark your homework and send it back. I was able to then go on to complete some college courses. Then I was able to start my trajectory of my career at Trent University with my undergrad and I went on to get two more degrees at Queen's University and then finish my doctorate 
um, at Western in actually 2018. So the trajectory was very bumpy, Madison. There was lots of setbacks, but it gave me a chance to study resiliency, but then also live resiliency as I went through that long um, kind of season of, of recovery. So uh, that's why I'm so passionate about it. I also believe that people are not their mistakes. People are not the worst thing that ever happened to them. So I wanted to create supports and programming that really embraces the fact that we can have a comeback and we can have a pretty solid recovery. That's awesome. And that's really an, like an inspiring story. I'm sure many people, many of our listeners can really connect to the, the uh, feeling that your life may not be all together. There's definitely that sense of stigma and seeing someone like you who has pushed through that and overcome your difficulties is really an inspiring story. So thank you for sharing that. Madison, you're very welcome. And one of the things that I think about is when we can take our broken pieces and our setbacks and our heartaches and all of those disappointments, and then we can use those lessons to help guide people, maybe not go ahead and make the same mistakes we did or I did. I think that's something pretty powerful about that shared experience. So if we can learn and we can create this community of persons that can persist and not let, as you said, that stigma or those other things pull us back, I think we can create a more authentic place to be. Would you say that's how you, in a way, discovered resiliency is pushing through these difficult times? Or were yeah. you aware of like the concept beforehand? How did that kind of all work together? So actually, I think that's a great question, Vess. And for me, I think having grown up as someone who comes from Scottish descent. So I actually believe resiliency is in my DNA. My family had a really tumultuous experience coming to Canada. Both sets of my families had a hard time getting here and were settlers. And I'm very aware of just that piece of the fact that, you know, we're from a family and I was raised with that kind of mindset that, uh, you know what, it's not always going to be easy, but we're always well equipped and, you know, faith and family are really important. And I, I just was really cultivated with a deep value system. Now it's interesting. And I always like to give pause to this. I still went off the rails, right? So despite having this really strong family system, which I really accredit my recovery to, um, I still was able to get off the track, but I was also able to use those values to get back on track. So I think very much it's in our, in our ancestry and acknowledging our past, acknowledging where we come from. So uh, to me, that makes me a pretty proud Scott Canadian to understand that uh, Scots have a tendency of kind of finding a, a choppy way to get through some things, but we do end up getting to the other side. That's a very great explanation. Thank you very much for that. Um, if you want to describe resiliency more to our current learners or today's learners, such as students like me or people who are involved in research, how would you describe it to them? What does it look for a learner? Yeah, so I think a lot of people think of resiliency as this idea about like, how do you bounce back? Like, how do you rally after a setback? But to me, in the theory that I've developed, I've actually kind of phrased it as everyday resiliency, because I'm not only interested in the big setbacks and the comebacks, I'm interested in those daily practices and even micro habits that we do that helps us keep showing up. Because things, you know, resiliency doesn't mean we're bulletproof. It doesn't mean we're not going to have bad days. It doesn't mean we're not going to get disappointed appointment when, you know, you get feedback on an assignment you worked really hard on and your professor says you missed the, you missed the point, right? Like, you know, we're going to have setbacks as learners, but what I think resiliency really speaks to, Hossein, is this idea that you learn how to be attuned with yourself to know what you need in that moment. So some days you're going to need to power through. You're going to have to push a little bit harder. Other days you might have to walk a little bit more gently. So I think resiliency is knowing how
how to manage your behavior and your thoughts. So then that way you can still continue to work towards your goals. Yeah, I think it's important to note that resiliency doesn't necessarily mean having a set out perfect plan that, you know, works out every time you it's about acknowledging the fact that you will inevitably have setbacks and it's about how you overcome those and having those uh, daily, um, you know, habits really help uh, help in, uh, in in your doing that. Absolutely, Madison, you're correct. And the reality is no really great adventure is a smooth trajectory, right? When you think about some of those setbacks, some of those challenges, those times you had to dig deep, work a little bit harder, that's when we learn about ourselves, you know? And uh, the, the poet J.M. Storm writes, it's not, the, you know, it's not the sun that's gonna teach us about ourselves, it's when you actually go through those storms, when you go through those difficult times. And what I always celebrate for my students is when they can take those really calculated risks, push outside of their comfort zone, try a new challenge, something that they didn't think that they could do and then experience success when they do get there. Those are the really rich, deep learning experience that I really think cultivate a really healthy mindset when it comes to navigating academic resiliency, which is something that we all need while we're in the post-secondary landscape. You did mention something about showing up or pushing through, which I think is really important and maybe underestimated. Um, sometimes to just get out of the phase that you're in or the problems that you're facing, you just have to show up and like deal with them one by one. Um, can be scary. Some people like prefer not to care at all or turn a blind, blind eye on them. But once you show up, at least from my experience, it makes things just flow so much more easier. I agree. Absolutely. And I think how we get to do that, like how do we keep showing up when things are difficult is really to align with our values. And I think our values sometimes when we live in society right now in this ecosystem, people are valuing really external things. Like there's a lot of materialism. There's a lot of social comparison. There's a lot of other noise around there. But if you reset and really think about, okay, what matters to, what matters to me as a person, how do I want to be in the world? You know, that being the idea of like, values around hard work, values around loyalty, commitment, discipline, those are going to be the things that you can tap into. And right now, I really feel a lot of pressure for my students when I see like all of the things on social media, that it's like this big highlight reel that makes it look like every 18-year-old has their life together, or every 18-year-old has all of these privileges and the advantages. The reality is that's not the whole story, right? We don't post our failures. So I think what's really important is that we have to normalize normalize the fact that learning is disruptive. Learning is bumpy. There's going to be some classes where you're really challenged. There's some classes where you're going to have to work so hard and might just get kind of a, a, an average grade, but that grade is significant for you. And just honoring that each of us are doing this our own way and we don't have to compare ourselves to other because I think that's what really creates a barrier for students is this idea that they're alone. And when we think about resiliency and wanting to create collective resiliency as a community of Western students, we want to make to ensure that students know that they don't have to do this alone. I think it's important to note that I feel like today's students are growing up in a climate where, as you mentioned, we have a online platform where you show a highlight reel and it's definitely very daunting to look at and feel like you have to live up to these uh, very unnecessary standards in a way. Um, 
the other thing, uh, kind of like the elephant in the room right now, is dealing with the global pandemic. Mm-hmm. And so dealing, um, trying to become a resilient student during these uncertain times is very, very uh, difficult. So I was wondering if you could kind of touch on that, mm-hmm. uh, see kind of like if you had any tips or tricks for students to sure. see. Yeah, like just kind of yeah. on that. <laughs> Definitely, Madison, you're asking great questions. So I think what's important is, yes, we acknowledge we are in the middle of a global pandemic, but we're also in the middle of a needed racial reckoning. We're also in the middle of global and political uncertainty. So it's not just COVID that's kind of making us feel wobbly. There's a lot of other pressures. In education, we refer to this as wicked problems. Like these are really big problems that don't have one immediate solution. It's going to take a really interdisciplinary approach to find solutions to these things. So what my invitation for students to really put your focus and your energy behind first and foremost is your wellness, right? There is your academics do not matter if you are not safe and well, right? So we have to make sure first and foremost that you are safe and you are healthy. So then you can learn whatever you're going to try to learn if you're in a state of unwell or what we call dysregulation is not going to sink in any way. So we want to make sure people are safe and sound first and foremost, and then worry about your studies. How we do that is actually through the practice of self-regulation. So what I want my students to be thinking about are what are some of those basic habits that you can can create ritual or routine that's going to help you make sure that you are kind of sticking to a schedule. But the schedule, I mean, not like necessarily like, oh, wake up at this time and do this at that time. I'm talking about making sure that you have a balance where You've activated your drive system. You're studying, you're working hard, you're putting in the effort, but then you also have to make sure you're activating your soothing system. Like, what are you doing to like bring all those stress levels down? What are you doing to like recover? What are you doing where you can still have opportunities for joy and play and laughter? That is part of the resiliency process is the fact that we know in the theory that I work with is we have a sense of belonging, we have perspective, we work towards acceptance, we stay hope-filled, but we also engage in humor. So I want students to think about the fact that they have to find moments to unwind. They have to have moments to have an endpoint to the studying and then go be you. Go, go do things that actually bring you joy. Have things to look forward to. And if you can regulate that drive system versus your threat system and your soothing system, I think you'll fare very well. A wellness strategy that I've heard about is like, uh, having a gratitude journal um, just every day before bed or even when you wake up, writing things that have happened recently or good things. For example, I personally, when, I have, when I'm dealing with so many difficult things, um, at the end of nights, I write five things that went well today yes. or uh, five things that were good today and I'm happy or proud about. It could be anything as little or as big as you wanted to, but once you change the perspective or sh- shift your perspective towards looking at those or even observing them, it it really does make a difference. Yes, absolutely. And Jose, there's a lot of research that backs that up. So, you know, from a kind of an Eastern philosophy, it's the idea of where your energy goes, you know, your, your ideas will flow, right? So if you're in that place of gratitude and appreciation, like that's what's going to be top of mind for you. We also know kind of from a Western perspective, what we see there is it is actually a practice of what's called monotasking. So you 
usually we're constantly multitasking. Just think about how many like balls we have up in the air, how many tabs you have open on your computer or how many like apps you have. Well, what monotasking means is at some point in the day, you actually practice some stillness. You actually practice focusing on just one thing, quiet out all of the noise and just really engage in that one thing with good focus. And that actually will, again, what you described a journaling exercise, that's actually a soothing activity, right? So then here we are working with the, their biology systems and the research that we know. Another way I like to think about it for my students is like our bodies need movement every day, right? We need to get up. We need to move around. We got to be kind of in space. We're social creatures. So we, we have to be in motion, but our bodies need movement, but our minds need stillness. There has to be points in the day where you quiet down that inner critic. You quiet down that like, I need to do this. I should be doing this. I ought to be doing this. There has to be times where you just sit and acknowledge, as you said, you know, counting things you're grateful for, reflecting on your blessings, your privilege. All of that is just a way to keep things top of mind that matter most. Something I have found really difficult during the pandemic and learning from home is separating that work like that school and work life and then my at home life. So maybe you could touch on kind of uh, those, those practices that allow for that separation and how one can manage that. Yeah, that's a great piece. So that what we talk about, and we talk about that in like a, a school context. We also talk about that in a professional context as well. So that to me is this idea of life with work balance. And a lot of people do that backwards and they say like work life balance or school life balance. As far as I'm concerned, you and your health has to come first. Your life is first, and then you do the good work. And if you're in check, then you can do it. So some strategies to help with that transition, first of all, is actually to develop transition practices. Literally be like, okay, this is work mode, and I'm doing my schoolwork, and now I'm actually going to like shift, and then I'm going to go into recovery time, or then I'm going to go into family time, or social time. Like actually use language to label the activities, so then your brain kind of knows where you are it just gives us a way of like laying the setting the table so to speak or laying down the the foundation another thing I would invite people to think about is I'm seeing right now a lot of my students are using their same devices for learning that they're also using for entertainment and using for social that's really hard on our bodies to understand like, oh, am I sitting down at this laptop to write an essay or am I sitting down to watch Netflix? Um, so a way not to suggest you get two laptops, but obviously that would, that's not equitable. But what you can do is like when you have your computer in a particular space, you can make a predictive environment that this is work mode, right? So create kind of these little workstations. And then when you're having, you're using your device for entertainment, take it somewhere else and actually use it in a different way just to create some of that kind of bifurcation marker. So then that way, you know what kind of lane you're supposed to be in right now. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Something I've always been told to do is never take my computer into my bed because then my brain will kind of confuse, oh, am I doing work? Am I watching Netflix? Or am I actually supposed to go to sleep? Exactly. That's something I've always heard. So that's interesting that you brought that up. Yeah. And just think about it. It's really hard if you spent the whole day behind a computer, whether you be on like OWL trying to do your coursework, and then all of a sudden you're using that same computer. It just becomes like a groundhog day effect, right? You're not getting enough variety in your life to kind of keep you engaged and motivated. So we got to make sure there's opportunities to kind of have that little bit of a change of scenery. Other things that I really like to think about is where you do your studying in your workspace, like that space really matters. So like really try to personalize it as much as you can. Um, 
created in a place that's organized. Um, when, when we know our workstations are organized, even if they're a small little corner of your dorm room, if that's your workstation, it just really helps to create ritual and routine that this is what I'm doing here. Another little tip a friend of mine talks about, and she's a scholar, but she also does uh, forest school teaching. She's a big advocate of making sure you have a plant ally on your desk. Have something alive in your dorm room. Having something alive around you is just a way to really cultivate a healthier kind of work environment. So I'm a big advocate on having little baby plant allies on your desk if you can do that. So now let's talk about um, resiliency. I know you said it's, it's more about the values that you practice in your everyday life, things like those. Um, what are the criteria? How do I consider myself um, like if I'm a resilient person or not? Um, how can I work towards becoming one? Yeah, so I think our mindset has a lot to do with it. So um, there's kind of a, a little practice or an activity I do that I'm when I'm working in my practice. And I've done this all the way from like toddlerhood all the way up to elderhood. And what I really encourage people is to finish these four sentences. So sentence number one is I have. So who do you have in your corner? Who's on your home team? Who has your back no matter what, right? Because each and every one of us need to have that deep sense of belonging. For some of us, it might be our family systems. For other people, it could be community that we've created. Just the whole idea is that you have this, this sense of people have your back. So you want to answer the question, I have. Number two is I am. What I want people to think about is speaking strength over their characters and their skill set. So I am a problem solver. I am capable. I am confident. I am brave. I am resilient. What I hear a lot of students say is, Robin, I am a hot mess, or I'm like a disaster, or I'm off the rails. Don't speak that over your life. I want you to speak positive. And this isn't just like woo-woo positive affirmations. These are things that are truths. Like pick the truths out. You are a problem solver. You can't make it to this degree of education if you don't know how to stick handle problems, right? You are capable. You don't get into Western if you're not capable. Like look at the evidence. So this isn't just like stuff to make you feel good. These are truths. These are realities. So I am capable. I'm a Western student, right? I am part of this department or this program. Take pride in where you are. Number three, it's the idea that I can, right? So think about the things that you can do. Now, I built an entire research program over the idea that I can do hard things. And I have lots of information online that folks can check out that material. But I can do hard things is actually the way that I was able to figure out how to get out of that car accident when I was 16. So I can, that's an important sentence. But your sentence could also read like, I can figure things out. I can problem solve. I can critically think my way through this. Or it could even be, I can ask for help. Something that's extraordinary about the Western community, there are so many resources on campus to support the students. And what I can't believe is just how few people access them. Like, oh my gosh, you have so much resources. So many people and staff and faculty care deeply about the students. Go find those people who are gonna help you. There's champions there are just waiting for a student to say, can I ask for some help here? 
And then the fourth one, the fourth sentence is I will. I want you to think about setting your course for your future. Like I will persist. I will figure this out. I will maybe accept that B and realize that was the best I could do with the tools that I had that day, right? Whatever that thing is that you're going to set yourself on a positive trajectory. So I don't think necessarily we can make ourselves resilient, but I think we can do practices and behaviors that can enhance our confidence or our efficacy that we can do the hard things. One unique thing about what you mentioned is that you're bringing facts. It's not like some fake thing to make you feel good. And uh, from my experience, our brain can't challenge or deny facts because they are true. You're just restating them or mentioning what's already being there. Um, as for the resources, I highly agree with that. I feel like not many students know about them. And I, I just want to throw two resources that I think are really important. For academics and mental well-being, there are uh, the Learning and Success Development Center, which they even offer one-on-one -on -one appointments with students, which seems to be a thing that not many students know about. Yeah, absolutely. And just another little caveat there, there is no shame as a student for walking in and saying, I need help. I tell you, there is, I don't, you know, it's unfortunate that we live in these ecosystems where shame runs rampant. And it's like one of those things, like if I say I need help, that means I'm weak, or that means that I'm broken, or it means that there's something wrong with me. I think some of the bravest things, the most courageous things we can ever do is to hit pause and say like, damn, I need some help and then go get the help. So, you know, to me, that is just such a sign of like a real warrior, somebody who says I've identified a gap and I'm going to go fix it. So please don't ever feel any shame reaching out for supports or even taking a break. You know, the thing I always tell my students, you know, it's okay to take a rest. We don't quit. We don't give up and we don't throw in the towel, but we can rest if we need to, and it's okay to take those pause. And that might look like, you know, one less course a semester. That might look like a little bit of a shift or a little bit of an adapting your timetable. But the idea is, is that we find a way to continue so we can achieve those big wild goals that we all have when we come into university. But I just want people to know there's no shame to ask for help. So before this conversation, I kind of had some preconceived notions about like what resiliency meant. And I kind of had this impression that it was a mindset, but it was more finite. So you either were resilient or you weren't. And so I think throughout this conversation, I've kind of come to the conclusion that it's more of a um, ever growing, like changing process. So it's evolving over time. Like it's, it is a process. And so I think that's important to acknowledge. And um, yeah, would you think it's fair to categorize it as more of a process instead of a, you are, or you aren't? Yeah, Madison, that's really extraordinary reflection. So I'm glad we've taken you on that little journey. So good checking in with yourself. I think there's a lot of people that want to put resiliency in a standardized questionnaire. Wouldn't that be easy? Because then we can like give people questionnaires, give people scores and say, oh, this is the range you fell in. Um, I have pushed very hard against any type of a psychometric tool about resiliency, because as far as I'm concerned, it depends on the moment. There are some areas of my life that I know I am resilient. Like I know I can get things done. There's other pockets of my life 
that it takes a lot of work and depends on the day I might would I probably wouldn't be very high on resiliency standardized scores. So what I think is so important is that we think about it as this life system. We think about it as it's constantly ebbing and flowing and you might be like wildly resilient academically, but like with social relationships, maybe you struggle a little bit or on the on another side of it, I see is I have some brilliant student athletes that I work with. They are so resilient on the court. You put them in a classroom, then they might experience some struggle. So I think we can always tap into and borrow resiliency from other life areas and learn how to channel it. But at the end of the day, it's like the seasons. It's constantly in a state of ebb and flow. But the predictor in my work that I have seen, and again, I've worked with, you know, people all around the world from all different walks of life is that real piece about wellness, how well you are, how well you have a relationship with yourself, your relationship with other, and even relationship in the land that is going to contribute to what those resilient practices look like. I think it's important that we as students encourage and motivate each other to practice resiliency. So personally, I'm living in a house with three other uh, students. And so you can kind of during like a midterm season or exam season, you may like stress each other out, you may butt heads, but how can we really motivate each other to become resilient people? And how can we kind of show our friends and peers like the power of resiliency? Yeah, I think the best way, and we talk about this even for like parents and children, like how do you teach resiliency? How do you foster it? How do you cultivate it? We do it through our actions. We do it through modeling the behavior. So again, I'm a behaviorist, so I'm biased. Like that's my positioning. That's the camp I study from. But it's the idea of you show what it looks like. So when you get that, you know, test score that you're not excited about, and you know, instead of saying like, oh man, I'm so dumb, or I can't do this, or what's wrong with me, say like, okay, so that wasn't what I was hoping for, but you know what? It's one test. In the grand scheme of things, this will not make or break my academic career. My grades will never go on my CV. I will not not get into grad school because of one assignment. Like it's just using that really positive self-talk. But again, as Hossein identified, it's real self-talk, right? Like we're talking about truth. We look for the evidence that can back up the position that we're holding and we're taking. So we model it. That's what we do. And I think what's really also really helpful for students is that we put a little bit of a spotlight on the catastrophic language that we use. And what we mean by that is I I see my students say things like, oh my gosh, like that exam is going to kill me. It's like, okay, hopefully no exam will ever actually do physical harm to your body. Okay. Or this idea that like, you know, oh my gosh, like this is to die for, or this is like, this is going to kill me or beat me up, or this is so hard. Like, wow. Or this idea, like, this is the most important assignment of my life. Like, I would really like to think that we have more formative assessment than one thing that's going to make or break your academic career. So just watch those catastrophizing tendencies, because I understand that's almost like contagious, right? So you get a house full of students, and one person starts to get a wee bit wobbly, and then everybody starts to get wobbly. So you want to be that person that holds the line that says like, no, 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 we're not, we're not going all in on this. This is one part of a much bigger picture. And let's try to keep this in perspective. In one of your presentations, you did talk about personal mantra. Uh, I wanted you to maybe like touch briefly on what that means and what it means, like what are the implications of having one? 
Yeah. So I think what's really important, again, that ties back to this idea, like we have to operate from our value system. We actually have to sit within ourselves. And right now there's, as I said, there's so much mismessaging about what is, you know, what should we prioritize as students? What is celebrated as students? Apparently like exhaustion is what's being really celebrated right now for students. That, that shouldn't be the marker that you're doing it right or you're working hard enough. This is the idea, but how can we be more efficient, right? Like how can we work smarter, not necessarily harder? So I think again, it's really finding what speaks to you. And you know, sometimes we will have to be stoic. Like sometimes we're gonna really have to like pull up for that moment, find ways to kind of be our coach to ourselves to say, okay, no, no, you know what, Robin, this isn't the time to take a break. This work needs to get done and you gotta put 50 50 solid minutes of work into this. Like sometimes you need to like talk yourself up. But on the flip side, I also want you to be like your own ally to say, you know what, it's okay to take a break right now. So our, our self-talk isn't just um, this idea of like motivating us per se, but what it does is it helps us think of what our goals are and make sure that we're well equipped to be able to meet those goals. Perfect. So thank you so much for joining us today, Robin. I really enjoyed our conversation and I also hope our listeners took away a lot of uh, important information about resiliency. So once again, be sure to check us out on Facebook, uh, Humans of Western, as well as our Instagram page, humans underscore Western. And tune in next week.